to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to resilience, crisis management, business continuity, disaster planning, and anything that's relatable to those fields. I'd like to remind everyone, if there is a specific topic you'd like us to talk about on the show, please go to the Voice America page for the show. There is a button that says send uh, email uh, to the host or some verbiage along that line. You can send me a note. Uh, request to be on the show, or if you want to talk about sponsorships, I do respond to all emails that I get, so please feel free, reach out. I'd like to remind you also that I will be at the Continuity Insights Conference in San Antonio, Texas, April 20th to 22nd. I am presenting, so you'll probably see me wandering through the hallways <clears throat> with uh, my handheld recorder, so feel free, come up and say hello. I'll also be at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto, October 7th to 8th. They've moved it to the fall. You may recall they used to be in the spring, but they've moved it to the fall. I will be there as well. And I'd like to thank everybody at Stone Road with their product at BoastAssessment.com, where you can self-assess your business continuity management programs and align your resources accordingly, rather than having to pay high prices for consultants to come in and do that for you. Now, today's show, as you know, uh, if you've listened to the show uh, quite a bit, you know I am a very avid reader. I read nonstop, morning, noon, and night. Any chance I get, I'm reading all kinds of books. And uh, a few months ago, I picked up one, and it's a bestseller, so uh, you're in for a surprise when I introduce the authors. The book is recalled Resilience. It's not about bouncing back. And as soon as I read the title, I knew I got to reach out to these people. Then I read the book and knew that I had to have these people on the show. Uh, if I didn't, I'd probably be hounding them uh, through LinkedIn to get them here. So I'd like to welcome to the show best-selling authors Jennifer Eggers and Cynthia Barlow. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. We're, we're thrilled to be here. I'm excited to have you here. Um, you know, uh, congratulations on the book. I really enjoyed it. There's a lot of fantastic information in here. And to be honest, it reads not like other books on resilience, which is, you know, quite a, a good good thing to me. I, I think it's fantastic. So congratulations on the book. <laughs> Thank I you. think that Thank is my compliment. <laughs> it is. That's a, that's a huge, that's a huge compliment. Well, can, just for the and sake you know, of our reading. For your listeners, for your listeners, Alex, maybe it would be um, helpful to know, you know, this is Cynthia speaking. Could we actually take a moment and just introduce yourselves as to what you do and how you got to where you are today? Um, and why don't we start with, uh, we'll go alphabetical. Cynthia, introduce yourself. Oh, great. I was all set to let Jennifer go first. Uh, <laughs> I... Really, because my my pathway is far more circuitous than hers was. She's got a far more linear kind of uh, 
business plan to her life than mine turned out to be. But I ended up doing leadership development through um, leading personal empowerment classes way back in the 80s. And then the offshoots of that, forming my own company, ending up meeting Jennifer at one of my programs. When was that, Jen? That was back in early 2000s. Back in 97, I think. 97. So we've known each other quite a while. I'm now uh, at that stage in my business career where I I do mostly coaching and a few uh, workshops now and my my signature class, but that's about it, and focus on writing books and helping other people try to become more resilient. Jen, over to you. Yeah, sure. Thank you. So um, I... So my career started in, you know, corporate America. I started in consulting and then uh, did senior leadership roles uh, at several uh, Fortune 500 companies. So I, was at, I was at Allied Signal, uh, managed the HR integration when they merged with Honeywell, um, led leadership development and learning for a big piece of Bank of America. Um, a lot of organization restructuring kind of picked up along the way. So I was, I was also at AutoZone and Coke, a few other, a few other places. But I, I started Leadership Insights, um, my current business, in uh, 07. And really, you know, it was interesting. We, we started as an org design firm, and then we, we was kind of a, a cross between org design and leadership development. Because once you got the structure in place, you had to have, um, obviously, great people that could run it. And somewhere along the way, um, I had, you know, a lot of bumps and bruises along the way. And, and several years ago, I went back and asked people that I knew really well, you know, what's the story that only I can tell? And to a person, I think 10 people came back and said, you're nothing if not resilient, which, or if not resilient, which led me down a path to try to figure out, well, what I had done, what had I, what had I done to, to get this way, and how was I able to, you know, come back from a number of setbacks? And what I realized is that it was really all about preparation. And one of the things that I did was attend a workshop that Cindy led uh, back in 97, and that, that set me down a path that was very different than the path I had been on before. And so when we started thinking about, you know, okay, how, how, can, how did I become resilient? And then, you know, the next question was obviously, well, can you teach this? And can other people benefit from it? And to me, with my business background, um, what made it maybe more exciting and more relevant was that we can teach organizations to be more resilient. And so a couple of years ago, I reached out to Cindy and said, you know, hey, um, I think we need to document some of this. We've got, you know, at that point I had a keynote. We had a resilience workshop. It was going really well. And I said, I think we need a book. And so Cindy um, graciously agreed to, to work on it with me. And so we, we did this project together. Um, and I think it's been, it's kind of, you know, certainly exploded far beyond, I think, where I thought it would at this point. But it, it really is making a huge difference for the corporations that attend the workshop and build a resilience framework. Um, and I, I think my sense is that Cindy probably sees it a lot, maybe more from the individual point of view, and I sort of bring the corporate point of view. And so together, we're really able to build something that I think um, is relevant in both spaces. Well, that was something that I noticed with the book, that there was a balance between the corporate side and a personal side. And I thought that was one of the things that was interesting because a lot of books are either focused on one or the other. And this one tended to uh, cover both both sides. Mm-hmm. That's a great observation, yeah, we, we, the both and world. 
You know, uh, I'm jumping in, Jennifer, um, because it occurs to me that in the business world right now, part of the problem, and certainly, and I'm not going to limit it to just the business world, let's just take a little bit grander view and, uh, and look, you know, south of the border and see that there's a lot of turmoil. And a lot of it is either or thinking, you know, yes. as opposed to both and thinking. And so we wanted to include the personal side, too, because in my experience, anyway, after 30 years of leading programs and having thousands of people go through these classes, and, and Jennifer has her own uh, experience level with her own program, what I know is that uh, the personal stories are what people remember. That's where you can link the concept we're trying to teach to the actual application thereof, which is often where training falls down, right, is not being able to to see the results on the job. stays up in the head instead of goes to the heart. Well, that leads me to, obviously for our listeners, we have a little bit of an outline here that we follow, um, and I'm jumping right to the end because you've mentioned it a couple of times, so I'm (laughs) going to ask ask this question now. It, 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 it's something that it's one of the things that really attracted me to the book and why I was I, I would have been stalking you, let's face it, to get you on the show. <laughs> but the you know, what made you use such personal and you don't have to, to say them if you don't want to, but what made you choose such personal stories in the book? Because that's <clears throat> excuse me, as I was reading it. I was really relating that and thinking of things happening in my life, you know, on a personal mm-hmm. level. And then with the corporate pieces that were in the book, it was like, you know, resilience. Yeah. You know, it's bigger than what a lot of places or people say. So what made you choose such personal stories? Cause they really are very personal. Yeah. I, I think I'll, I'll take that one. Cause I think a lot of them um, were from, from my corporate life and, and personal life as well. You know, the interesting thing here is we don't we don't get out of this, you know, um, this life unscathed, right? So as as disruption happens and things happen, there there's just stuff that we go through. And I think it was really important to me, um, first of all, if you're going to build a resilient organization, which really was the goal that I set out um, to try to help, you know, make some progress on with the book, you can't do it without doing the personal work first to really build your own resilience framework. And so I think it was necessary to me to share part of that journey because I think any leader that wants to build resilience individually or for their company has to go through this journey. And you can go through the, your company goes through the journey too. I mean, it's the things that it takes to build, um, you know, a set of core beliefs that, you know, in, in our personal lives, we might call that our faith. In our company, we might call that our mission, our vision, our values, whatever that is. It's the same journey. So for me, people relate a lot better, I think, to hearing a story, a personal story they can relate to. Um, it'll sink in and they'll, they'll get it. The, the message resonates a little better than if we just talk about our corporations and our companies. And I will say the, the other thing for me is that when I, early in the the book writing journey, someone said to me, you know, go to the bookstore and see where you want your book. And I went to the business section, truthfully, and I mean, I have a big enough business section in my office, I probably didn't need to go to Barnes & Noble, but 
<laughs> as I look at it, there's a lot of hot air in that space. And <laughs> I didn't want to be that, right? I wanted to be real. I wanted us to say, hey, look, we're not perfect. We've had stuff that happened that we had to bounce back from. And it wasn't easy. It was hard. But at the end of the day, leadership is hard. Building resilience is hard. We're not dealing with easy topics here. So if I don't take, if, if Cindy and I don't take the first step and share some of that vulnerability in some of our journey, I don't know how anyone will follow us. That's right. It, that kind of, you know, uh, I forget the saying, there is a saying about it, but a leader means, uh, you know, you have people who want to follow, follow you and can relate to you. It's not a hierarchy. Yeah, and Cindy, do you want to add anything to that? Because I feel like you you pushed me into that space a bit, too. I mean, I think this well, is an example that you set. Well, you were, I got to say that I'm having my own little unique experience here. Uh, the three of us are in separate locations. I've done radio interviews before. I've never done a radio interview with a co-author before, let alone one that I've known apparently now for 23 years. Who knew? <laughs> and to listen to, to you, quite frankly, I've got this huge grin on my face thinking how well you summed that up and how well you're communicating what I think is the essence of the book, which is, quite frankly, uh, Jennifer's story. It, it was her impetus to write this book. She's just never written a book before, and I have. Um, a little side plug, I have one coming out next, next month, but it's a <laughs> memoir. This one was my first time to really try to gather some of the concepts that I have uh, espoused and attempted to live for many decades now. And it's kind of... It, you know, a really uh, remarkable experience to hear my own words coming back in some cases from her and knowing that that is one of the gifts of becoming a truly, and in her words, your words, Jim, uh, a resilient leader. I talk about the authentic leader, and it's kind of an overdone buzzword now, but back when I was first talking about the importance of authenticity, it wasn't a buzzword. 30 years ago, it was just starting to creep over the horizon of awareness. And now we understand that it is one of the most key components for sustained leadership, especially those who are trying to steer any business um, uh, through turbulent waters. And man, oh man, are we about to, you know, I'm thinking about the timing of this particular interview. Look what's yeah. on the horizon right now. In addition to a political election in America, in the United States, um, we, we have the global concern of the coronavirus. So, you know, if businesses are going to be impacted, people are going to be impacted. And I think one back to the either or thing, and then I'll be quiet. Uh, you, you can't separate your personal life from your business life. I have two yeah. grandchildren now, when my, and both of my, my son and my daughter-in-law work. When their kids are in day, daycare and they get sick, they leave to go take care of the kids. That's the way it works. You can't separate. You, you, you know, we carry our emotions in a bag, and people who think they can keep them separate um, are not the ones who end up leading companies. Not long term, and not successfully. So anyway, 
Uh, well, the end of my little diet prob. I have finished. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to end the first segment here uh, because I want to jump into the book, some of the concepts that you both uh, talk about. Uh, today, we are talking with Jennifer Eggers and Cynthia Barlow, best-selling authors of Resilience. It's not about bouncing back, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. There are many innocent people who were found guilty of crimes that they did not commit. Join criminal defense investigator Jeff Stein for Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? Each show, we'll discuss the problem, and it is a problem. The fact that because of incompetent investigations and a poor judicial system, anybody can become a victim. Can we fix this? Tune in to find out. You can listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input too. Listen for Bravehearts Radio Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with best-selling authors Jennifer Eggers and Cynthia Barlow and their book Resilience. It's not about bouncing back. A great first segment, um, Jennifer and Cynthia. I really appreciated your comments there and your views on the uh, the personal um, stories that you both share in the book. Um, now I'd like to kind of jump into the book itself. And 
its title, Resilience. So what is resilience and what isn't resilience? We both, we talked about, you know, two sides of a fence, personal and corporate, but there really is a, in my view, a misunderstanding or a misconception of what resilience is. So what is it? Um, Jennifer, do, do you want to start? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So we believe that resilience is the ability to be energized and elevated by disruption. So it's, it's using the disruption itself to actually allow you to come out, come out of it stronger and more effective than you were before. So what that means is that it's not about bouncing back. And the reason we say it's not about bouncing back is that building resilience happens long before a crisis hits. So by the time, by the time a crisis hits, there, oftentimes things change so much during a crisis, there's no back to bounce to. So if, if you're mm-hmm. striving to go backwards, often there's, there's nothing to go back to because everything has changed. And so we, we look at resilience very much like um, it's the preparation that you do before the crisis. So what we don't want to do is end up with the crisis happening and then we're so busy reacting, you don't have time to build resilience then. You're in survival mode. So in today's right. world, it's not if a crisis or you know some disruption will hit, it's when. So the better prepared you are or your team is, the more resilient that you'll be or your organization will be. So uh, what? Do you want to add some add, add okay. to that? Um, I'm just I'm thinking globally right now that it's really no different than uh, you know the coronavirus. Not to get all, but it is current event right now. And the notion of uh, the instructions we're being given in order to prepare for the possibility of it that. That's what we're talking about here in terms of uh, individual and business resilience is preparing before and developing the strength and the, if you will, the the, the muscles necessary to to uh, bounce forward through the disruption. That's right. I agree with you. So, what isn't it? What isn't resiliency? <laughs> I get to start on this one. Uh, I, I can tell you what it is, and it's right off the bat, is uh, it's one of my favorite pet peeves, positive thinkers. Uh, resilience is not about positive thinking your way out of an emotionally uh, distraught situation. It, it doesn't work that way. You can't intellectualize an emotional response. Uh, we try to out-talk ourselves. So I see people all the time. It's one of the dead giveaways in any uh, therapeutic relationship or in any program the way I've been trained and, and through my own observations. When people do smile therapy, we know there's people who, who are, they're talking about something that's uh, upsetting. Uh, you know, my dog just died. And then big smile. I'm like, what? Why are you smiling? There's a disconnect. So mm-hmm. this is uh, part of of positive thinking has to be connected to positive feeling, and there are mechanisms for that. Jen, you want to talk about some other things that that, uh, resilience isn't? Do you have anything you want to add there? Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest thing to me, I think the biggest misnomer is whenever I ask someone what resilience is, they'll say bounce back. And so that's kind of, that's sort of my pet peeve is that it's really not that, it's the preparation. So to me, Resilience is a result, and this is in the book, I mean, our, this framework that we introduced, that it's really a result of the choices that you make and the mindset that you have to make them with, and then underlying those two things are your core beliefs. 
And that's true of whether you're an individual or whether you're an organization. Um, those, all those elements exist. And so what we try to do is the preparation to really do a deeper dive to say, how can I really uh, be authentic in my mindset? How can I choose my attitude in a way that's productive in a crisis situation or, or when you're in disruption? Um, choices tend to be about your definition of success and your purpose. And your purpose doesn't have to be this ethereal, you know, why are we alive kind of thing. It really could be, hey, I'm walking into a team meeting and, you know, I'm upset because my team didn't meet a deadline. What's my purpose in having this conversation? And that purpose may look very different if you're a new leader or whether they've missed a deadline before or whether you have a new team or, you know, I mean, there's, there's lots of different ways to look at this. But the idea is to be really intentional about what those things are and knowing what your core beliefs are before the crisis hits so you can actually choose um, or make the right choices and choose the right mindset in the moment. Um, so that when we, and we separate in the book, we also separate the notion of coping with the notion of being resilient. So resilience is not about coping. It's, um, and so maybe an example might be, might be appropriate. Uh, there's an organization that I think the examples in the book, um, we have a, a company that, that I worked with a while ago that you know, they, they had a, a massive amount of disruption, but when it hit, what was interesting is that they didn't waste any time you know, blaming or trying to figure out why, they just, all the executives jumped in together and immediately knew what to do. Well, they didn't, they didn't do that by happenstance. They did that because they did some really conscious, intentional preparation. So that's kind of what we, that's how we do resilience. It's really about the preparation required to emerge from disruption, energized and elevated. So I, I've got a question then, because that, that was very, um, I, I looked at that, there was a lot of, you know, looking at the personal level, but on a corporate level, how would choices and mindset and core uh, beliefs come into play? Is that along the corporate vision and the corporate culture? It certainly could be. Um, and, it, and so it's, it's, your core beliefs certainly have a parallel with the corporate vision or your value statement. Some companies have, um, you know, a set of principles or values that they espouse. Um, it also has to do with how well aligned people are. So when we think about choices, there are all kinds of decisions and choices that get made in companies that, you know, if people have their own agenda or they have, everybody has their own idea of what should happen. Um, if they're aligned and they really have done the work to be resilient and alignment is a piece of that, then when a, disruption or a crisis happens, and it doesn't have to be a negative crisis. It could just be, you know, it could be something like we're implementing a software program or we have to change the way we operate. I mean, just this mm-hmm. disruption doesn't have to be a, you know, a, a, a big global event. But when that happens, if people are aligned, they do the right thing. And so whether or not the boss is in the room, they're going to make the right decision for the company, not just for them. And what we find is where companies are not resilient or they're not aligned, People tend to kind of, you know, they might make the decision that, that makes the most sense for their team or for their function or for their budget, but they're not looking at the big picture and they're not, they're not all aligned around, you know, what are our priorities, first, second, third, what do we need to focus on? And those are the kind of things that creating that kind of alignment, there's no way to do it without dealing with, and back to Cindy's point, dealing with the emotional side of this. There's no way to do that without dealing with the individual personalities and the individual um, emotions in the room. 
And so that I think that's what makes maybe us unique in terms of our workshops and our, um, you know, the, even the book and some of the thinking that we do is that okay. we really merge the individual with the corporate work because you can't separate them. Cynthia, do you have anything you'd like to add to that? Uh, yeah, actually, it occurred to me listening to you, Jen, because I thought you did a great job there. Of, uh, alignment builds accountability is the bottom line. When a team is aligned, and, and her her particular her alignment workshop is excellent at getting people on board the same plan, the same approach. And when you have that, then you've got individual accountability, and the result is the ability to exercise resilience like a muscle when you need to um, without any resentment. There's no point of finger of blame. One of the key factors of the uh, aligned organization is uh, individual accountability within it at all levels. So that's when when you said, uh, you know, people stand up when they're aligned, that they do the right thing. What twigged for me was, well, how the real issue is how do you know what the right thing is when Mm -hmm. an organization is aligned, when teams are aligned? They all know. (laughs) They've had that discussion. And uh, yeah. it's all very clear. Hmm. So what are some of the characteristics of resiliency? Let, you know, I guess maybe we'll use myself as an example. How would you know I was resilient? What kind of characteristics would I display? Oh, can I jump in, Jen? <laughs> I was going to say, you <laughs> want that one? Great, <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. That's a great question. Um it, it, one of the first, I'm going to refer to very briefly some of the work that uh, we do present in the book is by Carol Couture and her landmark study on the characteristics of resilience, which bottom line, without any of the, uh, the backup data right now, I'll just summarize as three distinct characteristics, unexpected. And they are uh, the ability to stare down reality, really tell yourself the truth about it, not, you know, positive, think your way out of it. Number two is the ability to improvise within it, to think on your feet. And number three, to find meaning. Um, I think actually I inverted number two and three there, but the ability to find meaning in adverse uh, circumstances uh, is, is imperative in creating a willingness to improvise in the moment, back to that accountability thing. So, what characteristics would I look for? Is it, Do I ever see you or hear you in just casual conversation or work environment? Uh, um, disparage or blame someone else for lack of performance, number one. Uh, do you get defensive in the face of input or uh, course correction from someone? Um, uh, if something goes awry in a plan, how do you react to that? Is it a, okay, all hands on deck, let's go, boys? Or is it a, uh, gosh, darn, why did this have to happen? You get the flavor, Alex, for what I'm talking yeah. about here? Yeah. So, um, so people wear it on their sleeve. Um, they just, you can tell when someone has at least, if not the ability yet, or the skill set, or the awareness, at least the willingness. Hmm. And that's key. Well, then I guess I can call myself resilient, because <laughs> to some degree. I bet you can. <laughs> 
because I, I, I'm sure you know, you can. being, being in this industry for over almost 22 years now, uh, you know, I, once things happen, I, it, I'm more of the kind of person who just shrug their shoulders. Oh, well, let's just deal with it, you know, move forward. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, yeah. but d- does that also come from, uh, you got me thinking, uh, actually both of you did in uh, the, the previous uh, section about lessons learned about learning from, you know, either corporate incidents that occur or things that happen in the community or things that happen in our own lives. Should we really pay attention to learning something? Yeah, well, I'll take uh, that one. I, okay. Or I, I was just going to, so I'll just, I thought Cindy did a great job with the characteristics and I think they absolutely um, have to do with learning this, this notion of, they relate to the corporate world as well notion of staring down reality, I and mean, we have a lot of companies that just av- avoid um, the fact that there's a market disruptor. So, you know, the ones that are really staring down reality and getting ahead of it, um, that are trying to learn and trying to get ahead, um, certainly, you know, are more resilient. The ability to find meaning, you know, on the corporate side has, or, or really even the individual side, has a lot to do with, am I actually thinking through what happened and finding some lesson in it that I can take and move forward um, and make me stronger going forward. And there are companies that do after-action reviews and, um, you know, lessons learned at the end of a project and that kind of thing, but there mm-hmm. aren't that many that take those and really learn from them and grow and change and get better. And that's what really, I think, true, that's what separates, you know, the really resilient companies from the ones that are just, you know, kind of um, able to react but maybe not, you know, it's kind of like the, the one year of experience 20 times versus the 20 years of experience. Yeah. You, you said that a key word in there, change, the lessons learned. And I, I'm a firm believer, if nothing changes after something, then you haven't learned anything. The whole notion of finding meaning, in order to find meaning, in any, to be uh, as a characteristic of resilience, you, you must have taken some time for reflection. And I, I think it's key. I don't think resilience, mm-hmm. building a truly resilient foundation is possible for an individual <clears throat> or an organization without the willingness to reflect back to that willingness again. Must be willing to look inside and tell the truth. You know, this is the way it really is, whatever mm-hmm. that is. Mm-hmm. And then you do learn. In order to move forward, people usually do if they take the time. So, do you do you have any ideas why people and organizations don't reflect on you know lessons learned? I, I know I personally, and maybe you have too, been in instances where lessons learned end up becoming a blame game. You know, whether blaming yourself yeah, or exactly. blaming an organization, and you don't learn from it. Yeah, I think. It, from my from my experience, there's really two reasons. One is they don't want to have that difficult conversation, right? So they know it's going to turn into a blame game. They don't want to have a blame game. So it's just easier. And I think being just easier is probably the other one, is that it feels easier. We don't have to face the truth. We don't have to tell each other how we feel about each other. We don't have to go back and rehash what happened. Um, it's just easier to not do that and don't stir up all those things. But the problem with that is that if we don't get real issues out on the table, we can't solve them. And so it's not until we're actually talking about those really tough issues that we really truly build resilience and, and find that meaning and, and figure out, you know, how we're going to get better as a result of the situation. 
And and the other maybe the other reason maybe there's a third is just speed. I mean, I think oftentimes you know a lot of my clients are moving so fast that it's just they got to get to next, got to get to next, got to get to next, and they're not really willing to take the time. But the challenge is you're going to do the work now or you're going to do it later. So if you don't have time to do the pre-work and the preparation, how in the world are you going to clean it up? And, you know, we, we call it pre-work versus rework. So, you know, to me, if you don't have the time to do the, do the thinking and really the reflecting after the project, you're going to spend that time when you're struggling with the next one. So, um, I, yeah, I, absolutely. So my, uh, my father was a woodworker. Yeah, when he retired, and he built beautiful, fine furniture and, and clocks and things. He used to have a wonderful saying, and I, I'm sure you've heard it, measure twice, cut one. Yep. If, if our organizations, if we as individuals would measure twice and cut one, we would all become resilient very quickly. Because life, as we point out in the book, I mean, one of the filters that we suggest adopting is that life is hard. Life is hard, and we expect it not to be sometimes. So resilience comes from an initial choice. Jennifer talked about uh, one of the foundations or uh, the pieces of the model that we present in the book is the notion of um, choices. And so one of the choices we ask people to adopt, not because it's true, but because it's helpful, is, you know, Life is hard. Get over it. <laughs> and on that note, we'll, we've come to the end of our second segment. We are talking today with best-selling authors Jennifer Eggers and Cynthia Barlow and their book, Resilience. It's not about bouncing back. And we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. There are many innocent people who are found guilty of crimes that they did not commit. Join criminal defense investigator Jeff Stein for Is There Really Truth and Justice for All? Each show, we'll discuss the problem, and it is a problem. The fact that because of incompetent investigations and a poor judicial system, anybody can become a victim. Can we fix this? Tune in to find out. You can listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. A Braveheart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Bravehearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. 
Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with best-selling authors Jennifer Eggers and Cynthia Barlow and their book, Resilience. It's not about bouncing back. Great uh, information uh, being shared by both of you. Thank you very much. Um, I'd like to talk about something else that's in your book. Uh, You talk about something you call adaptive leadership. What do you mean by that? Cynthia, do you want to uh, start? Thank you. Um, I have to give credit where credit is due. Adaptive leadership is a school of thought coming out of uh, a professor at Harvard, Ron Heifetz who um, teaches quite a bit on this topic. So it's it's a pretty big topic. But the short end of it is that in today's world, the types of challenges that both individuals and organizations are facing are becoming more and more complex. And we see that because, you know, the, the rapid pace of change, the increasing, um, you know, evolution of technology, digital transformation. I mean, there's people have more and more access to information. And the result of that is that they want, they tend to want to be more involved in decisions. Everyone has an opinion. So what ends up happening is that when organizations face these new and more complex challenges, they tend, you know, it used to be that when we had a, a challenge and we had disruption, we brought in a consultant or we found an expert, you know, or we asked the CEO who had been in the business for 20 years and they could, you could look to the hierarchy and get an example or get a, um, the answer to your challenge. Today, the challenges are more and more things that individuals and organizations have never faced before. So when you think about, you know, the, the onset or try, Apple trying to sell um, the iPod before there was digital music, or if you think about, um, you know, Amazon coming in as a market disruptor, or, you know, there's lots of examples of, you know, industries that have been greatly disrupted. But these new and innovative products, um, the, the answers don't exist. So these kinds of challenges require us to think differently. And that requires people to be on the same page with where they're going because in answering one of these challenges, you could end up anywhere. So if you're not aligned and on the same page and you haven't done the thinking to really build resilience, it's difficult um, to really go in the same direction and answer these types of challenges. So the idea is that people don't collaborate well under pressure. So we want to we build that resilience ahead of time so that when we need to collaborate, because that's the only way 
you're going to answer some of these challenges is more people, more brains, more ideas. The answer can truly come from anywhere. So we have to figure out it, when the, adaptive, the School of Adaptive Leadership would say that we need to figure out how to mobilize people to work to solve these things together and really make tra- Sometimes they require us to make trade-offs in, you know, the things that we've always believed versus the new way of doing things. And mm-hmm. so the only way we can really make those trade-offs, if we want to have those tough conversations again, is to build resilience first. And I will, I will just add that, you know, I, as I went through, you know, my career in, in doing lots of leadership development and whatnot, um, you know, I was studying adaptive leadership, and I, I've, I've done a fair amount of work in that space. Um, and so I, I have a, a workshop uh, on adaptive leadership, and then we have our resilience workshop. Um, and what was fascinating was when people went through the resilience workshop first, they were more equipped to be adaptive. And so what that means, they were more equipped to adapt to change. And so I, I actually thought it was a fluke. I mean, I, I never put that workshop first. It was a sequence we didn't use. And I had one client that said, well, we want to do that first. And I thought, well, gosh, you know, the resilience workshop's a little in your face. It's a little edgy. And I thought, well, I don't know if that's where I want to start. Um, <laughs> but we let them do it because, you know, we're flexible that way. And what we found out was that they learned adaptive leadership a whole lot better because they built resilience first. And so that actually is what, that was the, really the beginning of the impetus for the book, um, is that I actually went to Heifetz at Harvard and said, hey, does this make sense? And they ended up asking me, they ended up inviting me, I didn't go to Harvard, this is all new to me, they ended up inviting me to speak um, on the connection between resilience and adaptive leadership. And it turned out that they hadn't actually asked that question and But once I asked the question, um, you know, the, the answer was kind of like, well, yeah, of course it does. Um, so that was a, a really interesting, I think, kind of aha for me, um, you know, just in the course of my work that I think drove a big piece of the corporate, you know, part two of the book. But Cindy, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, God, no. <laughs> I don't know nothing about adaptive leadership. That's all her. I, uh, you know, I, I teach other stuff. That that part is not mine. Um, but I think it's interesting that that it is probably a result of the adaptive leadership as I listened to Jennifer talk about it and and what little I have read about it is primarily a result of people having determined how it is that they're going to choose to view certain situations, which brings up the whole chapter on filters and mm-hmm. the importance of being, kind of tying up in this last segment, is some of the, the thoughts that we've had about, uh, you know, people's willingness to entertain at both ends to the notion of life, to look for compromise. Yeah, I laughed out loud, had to stifle myself when you said people don't collaborate well when they're under stress, and they no people don't function well, and they certainly don't collaborate well. So mm-hmm. knowing the way we're choosing to view certain situations is very helpful. And again, that comes back to reflection time and a willingness to tell yourself the truth, that it isn't so-and-so's fault that you're upset about what they said, that the resentment you're carrying isn't undermining your ability to collaborate with that person. And you work, you know, side by side with them. That's just one small example of generality. 
But if we don't know what our own opinions are, not the ones handed to us by our parents and well-meaning family members and friends, you know, the ways we should see the world, and if we don't know the general attitudes we carry forward, oh, I'm a loser, I don't know. So if we don't know all of these things and our beliefs, which takes time, and if we don't know those things, we end up in a workplace with behaviors that undermine. Um, we mentioned derailers, and one of the biggest derailers is um, resentment and guilt. Again, feelings in the workplace. So all of that shows up and undermines an organization's ability to be resilient. So that's about all I have to say about that. Is that, um, you mentioned, you know, facing uh, our, uh, knowing our own attitudes and beliefs. Does that also stretch into, you know, our own personal biases? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, it. That's the nature of confirmation bias. It's the, it's the formation <coughs> of it. Um, I liken it unto cement setting. It's really neurological hardwiring. This is why our youth is so important. The messages we internalize, they show up. And I know this is true for Jen in her workshops and programs, and it's certainly true in mine and in my coaching practice. I've had the, the, the good fortune to coach a number of people over a number of years in positions of leadership and to watch the ones that make it, if you will, and are sustainable. And across the board, they become reflective people, and that empowers their ability to be resilient, and that's why they rise. Ooh, we should have included that in the book. Three R's in a row. I like that alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> part two. You can always write part two. There you go. <laughs> so um, I, I know we're already halfway through our last segment, so uh, I'm – going to ask you if I had my own organization or just look at myself uh, as an example from both of you what kind of tips would you suggest where where should I start put it that way if I if I look at myself in the mirror and say I want my organization to be really resilient I want me to be resilient where and how do I start yeah I think that's an excellent question you know and my first answer to that is that you know if you're just because you're asking that question, um, you know, kind of makes it safe for me to say resilience is personal, right? So think about it individually first. Um, and the book gives you a framework to literally walk through step by step uh, in terms of, you know, how do you build that framework? Uh, and then once you build it yourself, you can take the same exact framework and apply it to the organization. And I think that, you know, that to me is, is probably the most fun. <laughs> but I think the, the individual piece, you know, again, it's all about really thinking through what are your core beliefs? What is your, um, you know, how, how do you make the, the choices that you make and what is your mindset? And the, the book has an inventory that in there that you can kind of look at that individually and build those, those things very intentionally um, to kind of figure out where your gaps are. And then if you apply that to the organization, um, we've actually done this. I did this with a client about a year ago. It was really fascinating. Uh, we put them through it. In, we put their, their leaders through it individually, and then we asked them to kind of ask the same thing about you know, the organization. And at the end, I went to the CEO about three, four weeks later, and I said, you know, tell me what's changed. 
because it's hard to go through this work unscathed. So, you know, is it better, is it worse, are people getting along? You know, I, you never um, have to be careful when you ask for feedback, right? But I really wanted to know. And so he looked at me and he said, our whole company has more courage because of the last half day when those 12 people built an organizational resilience framework. And to me, I think that's, that's the, the first step is knowing that you need it and then setting out to really build it intentionally. Hmm. But Cindy, Cynthia, what would you do, add to that? do you have anything to add? We've only got um, four minutes left, by the way. Here's, here's a one minute tag on. Uh, I, I, what I hear Jennifer saying is that because you positioned this question with, from, from this place, uh, if, if I were a business owner, and I wanted to take the first step, and I wanted to build, you know, I know what I want to build a resilient organization. What's my first, what should I do first? And I wrote down the word why and circled it, and then Jen talked and ended with the notion of courage. And I suggest that courage is a result of knowing your why. What, what is the motivation for you? I, okay, that would be one of my first questions to you, Mr. Business Owner. Why? Why do you want to become a resilient organization? What is it that's lacking? Just that question alone in your response to that why question would reveal mm-hmm. a lot of, um, to use Jen's words, uh, Jen's words, gaps, you know? So mm-hmm. courage, we need courage. It's a, it's a part, it's a result of, of developing a resilient framework for life. You become well, very <laughs> yeah, well, courageous, so- yeah. Well, I, I think also courage add. also goes back to what um, you were saying earlier on is, you know, looking at your own, your own self and you have to have the courage to be able to do that. That's absolutely true. Yeah. I believe that too. That is the most courageous thing a leader can do, I believe, is to hire a good coach mm-hmm. who is a mirror and says the stuff that doesn't get say, said, as you referred to before, Alex, about the, you know, why isn't it said in businesses? Why don't we talk this way? And then Jen talks about courageous conversations and how scary they are. And everybody's carrying a CYA mentality. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you start changing the conversation when you're clear mm-hmm. on your own personal why and what you'll take, what your values are. And then when you just imagine the power of an organization where everybody's that clear about the organization, about the mission there, about the plan of attack in the face of disruption. And that's what, um, personally, I think Jennifer is gifted at doing, is standing up and telling the truth to a bunch of... Uh, <laughs> I'm, oh, I, I'm, I'm refraining from using a disparaging term here, but a bunch of people who um, don't necessarily want to hear the truth, let alone speak it. And if we don't, we cannot become resilient. That's the starting point right there. That's true. Yeah. And and I I would just shameless plug. I mean, we're more than willing to help. Like this is more than, I think this is more than a job for both of us, right? This is a, this is a passion. This is a change the world endeavor. And so as, as crazy as that sounds, I mean, we are more than welcome to help, um, more than welcome uh, folks to brainstorm with us and, you know, give us a call if they want to talk about this. It's something that we really care about, um, and we're certainly happy to help um, from a coaching standpoint, a training standpoint, just from a, you know, talk about the issue standpoint, more than happy to um, 
you know, be a part of the resilience journey if anyone is interested. Yeah, I would, like I said at the beginning of the show, you know, I, I, I have a big interest in resilience and your book because it starts on a personal level and contains so much personal uh, information, but I work in the corporate world. It may, it made a big impact. Now, believe it or not, we've come to the end of the segment already. Um, so <laughs> uh, I, I have to end things already, which is unfortunate because I have a feeling we could probably talk for quite uh, a long time yet. <laughs> but I, I want to thank both Jennifer and Cynthia. Thank you both for being here. And congratulations on the book. Thank you. Alex, very thank much. you so much. We, we really appreciate it. It's a huge compliment. Uh, and we're thrilled to be invited to join you. This is um, you know, we we really enjoy your show as well, and, and just thank you for including us. Um, it's a it's a big compliment. We're thrilled to be here. Oh, great! I hope all the listeners heard just heard that quote. <laughs> well, thank <laughs> thank you again for joining us. Uh, reminder to everybody: I'll be in San Diego, uh, not San Diego, sorry, San Antonio. Continuity Insights in April. Uh, the uh, Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto in October. And thanks to everybody at Stone Road and BoastAssessment.com uh, for sponsoring today's show. Thanks again to Jennifer and Cynthia. And in the meantime, everybody, stay prepared. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.